Okay. Don't okay. let me sound like a complete idiot. I hate my radio voice. Oh my <laughs> I gosh. do not have beautiful radio voices like you and Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 70. Welcome to the show dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before today's guest joins us, I have fun feedback to share from Max Dunn, who joined us on the show in episode 48. Max just finished reading Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni, which I recommended to him back then. He said he was kicking himself for not reading it sooner and gave it a solid four stars on Goodreads, saying it was just what he needed. Max was the first booktuber I talked to on the podcast, but he will not be the last. To catch up with Max and see what he's reading now, visit him online. He's Well Done Books on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jesse Weaver onto the show. I've known Jesse from the internet for ages, but this is the first time we've gotten to chat. Jesse is a married mother of two who loves to read, and I know a lot of you can relate to that with one exception. She lives in the Chattanooga area with her family and a whole bunch of teenage boys because her husband is a dorm parent at a private boarding school. We talk about her interesting setting, and of course, we talk about the books. Jesse is one of the few brave readers who came prepared to discuss her lifetime favorites. She also made a comment online last year that I wanted to probe a little today. She mentioned during the year-end reading review season that the year that had just ended was the first year where she got most of her book recommendations from the internet. She knew she wasn't the only one, and she was thinking through what that meant for her own reading life and what it meant for her fellow readers everywhere. Of course, we get into it. Let's get started. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to dive in with you too. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Jesse, I didn't realize this until um, I think you filled out your form. But you have an interesting profession in Tennessee, am I right? Well, I don't, really. Um, (laughs) What's the word I want? An interesting... (sighs) We we have an interesting lifestyle. I want to get all philosophical about it, like your place (laughs) in the world. Lifestyle sounds like it could be sketchy. We live in a boys' dorm at the private high school where my husband teaches and he's a dorm parent and I'm not officially the dorm parent. Mostly I bake for our boys. So I say, not only do I have four children of my own, I have about 35 high school sons. Um, So we have a family of six and we live in a three bedroom apartment in a dorm. We eat dinner in the dining hall and um, it's kind of wild, but it works for us really well. What's it like for your kids and for you as their parent to be, I mean, what are they? Are they like the mascots? Are they the pets? Are they the little siblings? <laughs> um, sometimes the mascots, I think. It, it depends on the high schooler, whether they just ignore my children or whether they love on them. Um, we had, my husband has his small group of students here. He has six boys who he's sort of in charge of. And they were here one day. And I was in the kitchen. I think they had dinner here one night. And um, I was in the kitchen, and I hear they are singing the wheels on the bus to my three-year-old. Because he has a Pete the Cat book that's like the wheels on the bus with Pete the Cat. Oh, we have that book. 
Yeah. Yes. They were singing it to him. <laughs> and it was so sweet. And I just think, I mean, that there are 15-year-old boys in my living room doing that is so fun. Um, and I really, really love to bake. And it's nice to just bake as much as I want and not have to eat it all or, you know, have yeah. my kids begging me for cupcakes all the time. <laughs> I yeah. just take it down to their uh, common room and it disappears very easily. What is your role in all that, aside from resident banker? <laughs> Real, um, just support. I, I don't really have an official role, but um, my husband is gone. He's on duty one night a week and then one out of every six weekends or so mm-hmm. with the rest of the team in the dorm. And so I'm here by myself with the kids and those nights, like he's not allowed to leave campus and it just makes things a little harder sometimes. But we, this is the sixth year we've lived on campus. So we're pretty used to it by now. Two of our kids were born here. (laughs) They don't know any different. Interesting. So uh, what effect, does your husband have teaching responsibilities in addition to, okay, what does he teach? He's a math teacher, so he's a full-time teacher okay. uh, as well as the, the dorm parent. Okay, so I'm so curious to hear what your reading life is like and how that's affected by living at an academic institution. You know, I don't know if it really is or not. We actually live next door to a library. You know that. Uh, nice. Name. But I don't ever go there because it's actually quiet and I'm afraid to take my children mm-hmm. and they don't have a huge children's section, which is, you know, a lot of times what I'm going to the library for, but they do. My husband will go over there fairly often and they have a lot of books like that our our public library has a long waiting list for. Mm-hmm. They will have them and we can get them right away. And we will go because they're closed for the summer. Sometimes we will go at the very end of the school year and take out 20 books for our summer reading Mm -hmm. and be able to keep them all summer. Mm -hmm. Unlike the public library. So (laughs) that's a very expensive way. (laughs) And my husband was, he was on a committee. They have, um, it's, it's a nominated group of students that it's very elite. They do like a basically a book club with faculty members. And he was the faculty advisor for that one year. And they read really um, high class books, I guess is one way to put it. And so when they come out with their list of books for the year, my husband decided he's going to read those every year, even though he's not the faculty advisor. So that's been some exposure to different titles that has been fun. And my husband, who is a math teacher, and he was the one, you know, trying to fix my headset because he's the technical person. <laughs> um, it's had him reading Shakespeare, <laughs> which is crazy. And Margaret Atwood and all sorts of things I never would have thought he'd read. Jesse, you said something in a Facebook group we're both in that really intrigued me about uh, your reading life of 2016. I want to talk all about it right after this break. Okay, Jesse, you and I both, I think, listened to Megan Tietz's show, Sort of Awesome. Yes. And you said something in the Facebook group there that 
really intrigued me. And it was about how 2016 was, and I might be garbling your words, but how it was the year you got all your book recommendations from the internet and how that wasn't necessarily good or bad, but it was, and it was different. Yeah. I realized as I was wrapping up 2016, I write, you know, short reviews of everything I've read during the month on my blog. And I realized that I have read where I had read in 2016, so many books that were published that year. I meant to go on Goodreads and count how many, but I, I think I read 80 books last year and I would guess half of them were 2016, which is just crazy for me. That's just very unusual for me. I usually read from my shelves, whatever looks good at the library. And I did, I felt like, because of probably because of this podcast and and your site and the um and that Facebook group that I had been reading to stay up with the rest of the world like to make sure I was reading what people were reading now a little bit and yeah I don't know whether that's good or bad <laughs> in a way it, it's been very interesting and it's fun to to have books to talk about with people that a lot of people are reading currently. But I also feel like I miss catching some of those older books. That's interesting. So do you feel like the internet is abuzz with the talk of what's coming out now and not older books that people are right. reading at the time? Yeah, I feel like mostly with Book of the Month Club, with this podcast, with Book Riot and... BuzzFeed and all these best of lists that there's just a lot of buzz on what's coming out right now. And you're like, oh, well, that's interesting. I'm going to put that on hold at the library. And I forget about those books that have been on my TBR for years. I hear you. Now, on this podcast, we talk about old books, but it sounds you like talk. you're picking the new ones. I wonder what that is. I feel like I've heard about books on this that I'm like, oh, I want to read that. And maybe just all those books happened to be new books this year. And there is something, I don't know, there's something powerful and I'm not saying it should be, but I think there's something powerful about hearing about something new. You know, it's new, it's different, it's shiny. You've, you've definitely never experienced it before instead of being reminded of an old book that you could read anytime, you know, you haven't read it yet. So why, why 2017? Yes. And to have people actually be able to recommend things that are new, um, you're like, well, it's not just that I saw it on the news shelf at the library. Somebody's already told me this is good and they like it, mm -hmm. which has been nice. I resonate with what you're saying. And what it's reminding me of is how every year for the past, I think we're coming up on year six, I put out a big summer reading guide on the blog. In the first couple of years, I did some backlist and some new releases, but the past few years, it's been all new titles. And in order to release this reading guide that has 25 to 35 titles in it that are all new published that year, or at least since the summer before, I have to read a lot of new books and I don't have a lot of room in my life for the stuff published in, um, you know, the nineties or the fifties or the 18th century. And I really enjoy it for a while, but at a certain point I feel out of balance. Like it's almost like being on a college campus and then seeing somebody's grandfather walking, you know, in the cafeteria one day <laughs> and realizing, I haven't seen somebody older than, you know, either 
22 or college professor age in like weeks. And it's weird <laughs> once you realize it. And so it's just, I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own little, I'm picturing a pie chart. Everybody has their own ratios they need to fill in with how, how old or new books are, or what the different genres are. Like everybody has their own happy place there with how it all breaks down. But it sounds like maybe yours got a little off kilter in 2016. I think my desire to talk about books maybe outweighed my desire to read best quality works, if that makes any sense. Interesting. I really like to talk about books. Uh (laughs) Having that Facebook group where I can talk to people who read as much as I do was really exciting. Mm -hmm. There are not that many people in my real life who read, you know, like I do like you and I do. Interesting. So how is that experience from 2016 affecting your reading? Is goals too strong a word? What do you want out of your reading life in the future moving forward? Well, one of my goals for 2017 was I found 10 books that I already own. And those I am trying to read in the first three months of 2017. Ooh, what are a few of the titles? Although Homegoing was one of those, which I bought at the very end of December when it was on sale for Kindle. Mm -hmm. But um, The Historian Uh is one. The stack is back on my bedside table. (laughs) So now I have to remember. Actually, Light a Penny Candle by Maeve Binchy is one. That's one of the very few books I haven't read by Uh her. Rhinestone Jesus by Kristen Welch. I know it's on there. So you'll read those 10 books and then you'll make a plan moving forward? Yeah. See if I have, I don't own that many physical books because we have this apartment and four children. So, but I do have a lot of Kindle books that are just sitting there waiting for me to read them. Well, that is very interesting. Okay. You know how this works on this show. Guests tell me three books they love, one book they hate and what they're reading now. And we talk about what we should read next in your favorites list is, um, It's great. I love it. But it's so unique compared to so many I've seen. And you've already, um, just before we were starting, you were kind of laughing at your own selections. But I I just decided to go with all-time favorites. And it's funny, I was thinking about it this morning and realized these are books that I read in high school or maybe college that have really stuck with me a long time and that I've reread and just still, they still speak to me as an adult. Uh Uh-huh. So are they books that you've reread? Yes, definitely. I don't reread a lot, Uh but my very favorite books, I usually reread every few years. A lot of people tell me their favorites and then they say, oh, you know, that's not really representative of what I read like over the course of 30 years, even if it's very representative of what I read over the course of three months. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's why your books all do have a very similar vibe is because they are your lifetime favorites. So I'm glad you went that way. It's a fun change of pace. (laughs) It's funny when I first filled out the form, I filled it out differently when you first started the podcast with books that I had loved recently and that I knew you had read. And I thought, oh, well, that's what would be easiest on the podcast. But then when I went back after listening to every single podcast, which of course I have, including one from this morning, I thought, you know, I bet (laughs) I think these all time favorites would be much more interesting to talk about. And I think they are more representative of what I really, really love in novels. Okay, but I'm dying to know what those other books were. 
Do you have any idea? I think when I originally filled it out, I said 112263, uh-huh. which I love uh-huh. and devoured, um, being mortal. Uh-huh. And I think the Flavia Deluce. <laughs> okay, so the ones you chose today, they are miles away from that. But yeah, this is going to be a different show than it would if you'd chosen those. Okay, since we've teased them enough, <laughs> tell us all three and then we'll break them down one by one. Okay. My books are Echoes by Maeve Benchy, Saint Maybe by Ann Tyler, and A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. So what do you notice about these books, Jesse? They're all old books. <laughs> They've been around a long time. And I would say they're all they all span a long period of time. They're usually family stories. And I also, especially Owen Meany and St. Maybe have religious themes. And I think I like that in fiction. I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm very involved at church. I'm really interested in reading Christian lifestyle books, but I like seeing how that plays out in mainstream fiction. I was listening to the West Wing Weekly and, um, (laughs) They were talking about how some of the episodes of a political show, The West Wing, have um, a grounding and a chance to go like to go big, you know, to go lofty and uh-huh. idealistic when they weave in the themes of the fictional president's Catholicism and how it almost was like a framework that they could build like a really grand episode on. That's so, interesting. Yeah, I'm talking about a political show, but I'm seeing that <laughs> the, the same can be very true of fiction. Fiction on the page, not just fiction on the screen. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be tossing that around and see how it, see how it sits with me. Okay. So we have family themed, character driven novels that span almost generations for some of these. I have not read Echoes by Maeve Benchy. I've only read Evening Class and Circle of Friends, but I don't think they're leagues apart in terms of feel. Her book's. I would say mostly have the same feel. Okay. So let's talk about Maeve Benchy and Echoes in particular. What landed this on your favorites list? I just love Maeve Benchy. How I found her is actually a really funny story. I studied abroad in China when I was in college. I was a Chinese minor and was there for six weeks. And I think I only brought three books with me. I had read them all on the flight on the way over, basically, and so was rereading them. And just we had a lot more free time than I thought we would have, I think. And of course, knowing myself, I should have brought a whole stack of books. And this was before Kindle. But we went to an English language bookstore and found that English language books in China were super expensive. So I found Terror Road by Maeve Binchy, and it was one of the longest books there. And that's why I picked it (laughs) (laughs) entirely because it would take me a while to read it. And I loved it. And so then I've read, I think, almost every single Maeve Binchy book. But Echoes, I don't know why I like it more than any of her other ones. There are some I like more and some I like less. But Echoes is the one that... I thought maybe it would be different and nothing bad would happen that it was going to be her book that had a happy ending because I love the characters so much, mm-hmm. which, you mm-hmm. know, is, is not exactly the case. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but 
Um, I just, it's about Claire and David and they're from this same little town, but he is the doctor's son and she is poor and her family is Irish. Nobody it's in Ireland. All her books are in Ireland and they go off to college and fall in love and it's their story and how that plays out. It's, like 700 pages. It's very long. (laughs) Her books are sort of meandering and they have a lot of dealings with the more minor characters too. And I just love little town stories, I think. I like the sound of that. Tell us more about your book too. Okay. So book two is A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. I read it for the first time in a creative writing class in high school. And I love it so much because there is a reason for every single thing he writes in that book. I think you just find yourself loving the characters in that book so much. I always weep at the end, no matter how many times I've read it. And I just think it's one of the world's perfect books. (laughs) That's so funny. Um, I did not read this for a high school literature class, but I have a vivid memory of my senior year English teacher standing in the front of the room, marveling over the intricate plotting of, I think it was actually The World According to Garp and not A Prayer for Owen Meany, but he said basically what you just said, almost word for word, (laughs) how every single thing in that book exists for a reason. And I was so intrigued. That's when I ran out and got my first John Irving novel, the first time I was at the, the next time I was at the bookstore. A Prayer for Owen Meany is the kind of book that ends up on some readers like, this is my absolute number one lifetime favorite book. What do you think it is about this one that really speaks to people's literary taste, but also to, you know, like a book has to really emotionally resonate to get that kind of ranking in your personal readerly priority list? What do you think that is? I don't know. I think it has to do with friendship, the characters growing up together and having such a strong bond in the wake of John, the narrator, his mother's death. And then Owen's parents are not really involved and they just have, you know, almost a brotherly bond. And so there's that. And then all of these pieces coming together for such an emotional end to the book. And also I think not me, I'm a little bit too young, but there are pieces of it that go into Vietnam. And so for some people, I think that um, resonates with their growing up experience. Like I would say for my dad, that would probably be something he would like a lot. Interesting. And I've heard some people say it's the kind of book that you just can't get at all on the first reading. So the kind of book that stands up to re-readings is the kind of book that can be one that you've read for a (laughs) long time. It's funny, though, I've given it to people and have them read it. And they're like, Oh, I didn't really like it. I don't think I can finish it. And it's that you're like, No, what do you mean? You don't like it? (laughs) I'm not sure we can be friends anymore. Okay, tell us about book three. Okay, book three is Saint Maybe by Ann Tyler. It's funny, I've heard Ann Tyler on the podcast a couple times lately, which has been exciting, because I'm a big Ann Tyler fan, too. But I don't believe anyone's talked about St. Maybe. It's been no. the accidental tourists getting all the love. Right. Nobody nobody talks about St. Maybe. I don't know why. Until today. Um, <laughs> it's, 
like I said, it has a lot of religious themes. It's about a man who ends up raising his brother's children, and he gets caught up into almost a cult-like church. To They have a lot of really rigid rules, and so it follows them for a long time as the kids grow up. And this is, I haven't reread it recently enough to have it vividly in my memory, but, but I just know, and I think he comes, you know, to some realizations about the religious upbringing that's happened throughout the book. And it's just very interesting to me. Maybe that's not everybody's cup of tea when it comes to Ann Tyler, but for me, that resonates a lot. I think more so than many authors, her books sound really dry in the description. They they do. They sound terribly boring. And most of them are, you know, you could say, this is about 20 years of so-and-so's life. And that's about it. <laughs> Where if you wanted to write a really scintillating description, you probably could. Um, Maybe. So it seems like what you have to me is, oh, they seem so clearly in the same genre, but to put my finger exactly on it is a little trickier. But in a nutshell, you have good stories, well told about real people. They're realistic, character driven, but still good writing. And, but I just keep coming back to the the good story, like something that just keep and not like a page turner, not like a, the author was deliberately trying to build up huge narrative suspense to keep you up till two o'clock in the morning, but just the kind of thing that makes you lean in and be like, keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like a nice long book where you can really dive into somebody's life. I don't know. I, I read My Name is Lucy Barton recently and I really liked it. Of course, it's not a nice long book. It's a nice short book. But I think a lot of people haven't liked it because it really doesn't have any plot. It's entirely <laughs> a character study, but I really enjoyed that. So I, I think I'm willing to forgive a lack of plot if there are really good, interesting characters. Okay. So as you were talking, I had jotted down Lucy Barton as a potential recommendation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but then I put a question mark when you said a nice long book. Okay. That's okay. We might circle back to that one. Jesse, what's a book that you're not crazy about? My best friend, Michelle, is an English professor. She teaches rhetoric. And a year ago, August, so in 2015, um, she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And she is fine. She's in remission. But she took the semester off that fall semester. And we decided we were going to start reading together one classic a month. And we were going to write letters about them. So we've done that pretty much for almost a year and a half. And so I've read a lot of classics that even though we were both English majors, we never read in school. And some of them have been really good. But the one I really hated was Vanity Fair by William Thackeray. Because? The actual plot of Vanity Fair is okay. It's, it's mildly interesting. But... I think 75% of the book is him talking about English life and the customs and stuff that is completely superfluous to what is going on in the actual story. Mm -hmm. And that drove me insane. You know, it's like 800 pages. 
And I was so happy when I was finally finished. I couldn't hardly stand it. (laughs) (laughs) But not for the usual reasons. No. (laughs) Did you see the Reese Witherspoon Vanity Fair movie? No, I didn't. Is that something you'd be interested to see if they were able to make it into an interesting (laughs) story that was only two hours long? Or have you just had enough Vanity Fair to last a lifetime? (laughs) No, I think I would like to. I guess... Having seen commercials for the Vanity Fair movie, I thought it was going to be a little more sensationalist, (laughs) the book, Uh I guess, a little more like about Becky and how incredible she is and all these things that she does. And I just didn't feel like there was quite enough of that, at least not to keep it moving for me. See, I've seen the movie, but I haven't read the book. And the movie is, wow, it's been a long time since it came out. But um, she is extremely spirited, extremely unlikable. And it almost has, like it has a satirical tone. Uh, she might wink at the camera, like it's that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but I can see that. I mean, she is very cunning and unlikable in the book as well. There's just so much other stuff in it. (laughs) No, I think it's had 867 pages down to two hours. It's pretty much all her. Okay. Well, I am certainly not going to recommend um, that you ask more Vanity Fair into your life after that scarring experience. (laughs) Jesse, what are you reading now? Um, I just finished Homegoing by Yah Jesse, and I really liked that. It was not my favorite in the world, but I think it's one that the more I think about it, the more I'm going to like it. I've already recommended it to one person and I finished it three days ago. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's going to stick with me and I'm going to feel more affection for it. What else have you finished recently or that you have Uh, in progress now? Oh, and so right now I'm reading Giddy Up Eunice by Uh Sophie Hudson, Mm -hmm. which is Boo Mama and I love her. And I just started The Wonder by Emma Donahue. Okay. How is it so far? I think I only read the first 10 pages, so I'm not, don't think I'm at a place yet to say. I feel like it's so much easier to have a book in progress than it is to like start fresh on a Tuesday night and decide what I'm going to read next. Well, you know, it's the question that plagues (laughs) every reader. And once it's behind you, even if you're only on page four, you are already in the middle of a book, if not the very middle. Jesse, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Well, I would really like to read more nonfiction. I am the kind of person who starts nonfiction books and then I set them aside because I want to read fiction and I never actually finish them. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so you want to read nonfiction, except apparently do. you don't. So no. <laughs> are you choosing the wrong books or what? Help me out here. Well, just I feel like for me to read nonfiction, it has to be very, very engaging. And I just have trouble finding those sometimes. What kind of nonfiction is it that you're looking for? I feel like I read Christian memoir or some Christian living type books. That's if I'm going to read nonfiction is generally what I go for. Uh Um, I would like to read more parenting things, you know, because I have four kids and I feel like I stink as a mom. Um, (laughs) I just last month I read All Joy and No Fun Uh and... That I found really 
to be interesting and I read it just straight. I know I need to read more nonfiction. I like it when I read nonfiction, but I don't make myself read it very well. When it comes to reading nonfiction for you, is the issue finding the books that you think will be compelling enough that you won't put them down? Or is the issue just following through and doing it? Both. But I would say finding books that are really appealing to me is sometimes more difficult. Well, you know, nonfiction, a nonfiction book is still a book and it's hard to find just the right book for just the right time for just the right reader. So I do really like memoir and I do read a bit of memoir. Mm -hmm. That's feels like fiction to me. It's a story. It's a story. Okay. And you like good stories. If we're learning anything here. All right. (laughs) Well, that I think I've jotted down like 20 authors and titles for you. And I don't think a (laughs) single one. Oh, no, there is one. There is one that's nonfiction, but there's just one. Jesse, well, this is a lot to go on. I'm a little, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see what happens with this nonfiction thing. But I can't wait to talk more about your books and to pick some out for you right after the break. Jesse, welcome back. Hi. Okay, so I feel like I've already diagnosed your um your books over and over again, verbally processing, you know, like <laughs> good stories, well told, whether it's fiction or non. Uh family themed is not a bad thing. Uh awesome characters that move the plot forward, not a bad thing, and you're not afraid of long. That okay. is true. With that in mind, my first pick for you remains <laughs> My name is Lucy Barton by Elizabeth Strout, but I think it's a great choice for you. I'm glad to hear you love it. And I know that sounds ridiculous to recommend a book you've already read, but I was already wanting to (laughs) recommend it in tandem with Elizabeth Strout's new book, which I just found out was linked to My Name is Lucy Barton, which really surprised me. Like she's written so many books, uh, prize winning, you know, one of our great authors of the day, you know, said loftily (laughs) from the headline on the literary review site. But the more you talk about what you like, the more I think this is an excellent pick for you. So I wasn't sure about the description, but I just finished this myself and I was just like, wow, this is good. This is a collection of short stories that involve the characters in the community that Lucy Barton grew up in a couple hours outside Chicago. And of course it's all fictional, but you know, Peoria is a real place. It's not there, but they talk about Peoria. They never named this tiny town. She's actually from. And Lucy Barton is just one of the characters and she is by no means the central one. So this is the town she fled from um, very unhappy childhood. And Strout goes into that in more detail in this book. And you just have this rotating cast of characters and you enjoyed Homegoing, which was a series of linked stories. But this one is a lot easier to dive into because you stay in the same time frame. What is the name of it? Oh, that's important. It's called Anything is Possible. It comes out April 25th. And it's, it's really well done. Anyone who loves my name is Lucy Barton. I can say with confidence, put this on your to read list. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's, uh, that's probably not the right word. It's well, yes. Lucy Barton wasn't really fun, but it was interesting. No. Uh, how about, (laughs) how about it's absorbing and poignant and well-written and touching. It's not heartwarming, (laughs) which is the kind of description May Vinci novels get, even though that doesn't mean they're happy. Um, So it's not that same kind of tone, but 
You've read Lucy Barton, you know. And I mm-hmm. would say that if you haven't read My Name is Lucy Barton and you're thinking about reading this one, you pro- it's not essential that you read Lucy Barton first, but there's no good reason not to read it first. If I had to say one or the other, I would definitely say go with Lucy Barton first. So since that doesn't right. come out till April 25th and Lucy Barton is no longer <laughs> brand new and easier to get your hands on now, um, yeah. read that now so you're ready for this next one. So does that sound and- like something that would interest you? Yeah, I'm not much of a short story reader, but the like linked short stories, May Finchie does that kind of book too. The short stories that all revolve around the same set of characters or the same area. I usually find that really interesting. Yeah, it can be so interesting when the author rotates the perspective. So you see the same situation through a different set of eyes. Yeah. Okay. For book two, have you read any Alexander McCall Smith? I listened to the first um, number one ladies detective agency book, but it has probably been at least 10 years and I didn't ever read the other ones. Okay. So what I have in mind for you is book one in his later series, 44 Scotland Street. And book one is called 44 Scotland Street, and they go on and on. I think there's six or seven right now. My favorite title is... The Unbearable Lightness of Scones, which makes the whole series sound a little more... I thought the English major in you would appreciate it. Um, It makes the series seem a little more um, screwball than it actually is. But what we have here is a rotating cast of characters. It's not set in Ireland, but it's set in Scotland, kind of adjacent. And um, yeah, you have quirky, engaging characters. It's fun. It's witty. It's a little irreverent, but you do have um, family themes, real-ish people, real-ish situations. They're good stories. And I am struggling to do better than Kierkegaard, like the notoriously cranky review site, who calls (laughs) this sheer readerly And it's the kind of thing, like when you get sucked into the series, you could just sit down on the couch and knock off um, like two of them on (laughs) like a cold winter afternoon. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a mystery series, but um, it feels different than the number one ladies detective agency. Okay. But it's a lot of fun. And I think it has, it's like a, a snappier Maeve Binchy. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds good. I feel <laughs> about it. <laughs> I can tell. No, I can tell. I, I would have told you that I don't usually read books that have long series. I don't know why. But then those, the flat Flavia books, there's what, nine of those, eight or nine of those. And I have read them all. And I will read as many as he publishes. So maybe I'm getting there. <laughs> Maybe you're getting there because uh, I think I was trying to anchor this to Maeve Vinci, but Flavia is probably a better comparison. That's I like Flavia because it's fun. It's witty. You know, it has a great characters. So if it's in that same vein, then I probably would like it a lot. Yes. And for the English major in you, I should probably mention the comparisons that have been made to P.G. Woodhouse. I have not read P.G. Woodhouse. Is that a bad thing? No, but, you know, instead of Vanity Fair, the next time you and your friend want to <laughs> want to have a long distance book club, I think maybe you'd enjoy that more. We will try it. Since you like books that were published a long time ago, 
and you live in the South, I'm wondering if you have ever read Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. I have not, although Fried Green Tomatoes is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I have never read the book. Okay. This is book three in that case. I think you'll be glad you go back and visit it a lot. <laughs> I'm looking at Goodreads right now, and there's a comment that says, I'd be careful of the barbecue. <laughs> Very true. Um, Fanny Flagg is an author that I hadn't read until the What Should Anne Read Next episode, where readers recommended books they thought I should try for our one-year anniversary. And that's when I picked up Fanny Flagg for the first time. Um, I started with The Whole Town's Talking, and it wasn't quite what I expected. Um, it was the story of a community and the different people in it and the perspectives rotated and you got to see a whole cast of characters go through very normal, natural situations, very realistic. And of course, anyone who's read that book knows that there's a huge part of it that is completely unrealistic. However, it still feels like people you know or would like to know. So Fried Green Tomatoes was the next one I read. I hadn't thought about anything about Mrs. Threadgood or um, Whistle Stop since I was probably like in high school or maybe younger watching the movie. Yeah. But for the kind of books you like, good story, well told, great characters. I think this is worth picking up, even though, let's see, it's 416 pages, which is nothing to sneeze at, but is not <laughs> epic like some of your favorites. How does that sound? It's one of those I've always meant to read Fanny Flag and I just never have. So I'm definitely all about that pick. And I love books that take place in the South. You may be able to tell I'm not super Southern. My parents um, are Midwestern and I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, which is not really the South. But being <laughs> in, in Tennessee now for such a long time, I, I think I'm a Southerner now. And it's just always fun to read Southern charm sort of books. Agreed. Agreed. I think it's in your wheelhouse. Jesse. of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? Well, I definitely think I will go and find Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle, Whistle Stop Cafe. I, I'll definitely read the Elizabeth Stratt book when it comes out. And I'll probably read Alexander McCall Smith, too, <laughs> because you told me to. I'm glad to hear that. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks for talking books with me today. I wish we could talk for like another three hours because, oh. you know, I have 43,000 other books I would love to talk about. <laughs> well, that would be so fun. And then I could tell you the 20 titles I didn't give you that are on my list. <laughs> You'll have to email them to me. That sounds good. Some other day. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jesse today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Jessie and to let her know what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 70, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. You can connect with Jessie herself online at jessieweaver.net, that's J-E-S-S-I-E-W-E-A-V-E-R, and find her on Instagram and Twitter at VanderbiltWife. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. 
Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.